So, uh, as I said, this week we're going to continue our uh, Spirit-Filled Life series. And we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 25. You can turn there in your Bible or on your iPhone or Android phone if they are compatible with the Bible. (laughs) Something like that, Pastor Eddie? Is that what you were aiming for? Yeah. Just kidding. I like Androids. (laughs) Uh, Last week, we looked at the the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, And we looked at it not from the perspective of either of the sons in the story, but we looked at the father. And we highlighted the role of the father as one son went and squandered his inheritance and another son stayed close but remained prideful, kind of caught up on his own life and on his own strength. We looked at how in both cases the father covered their son's lack of dignity by being even more undignified than their sons. We looked at how uh, Jesus Christ died the most undignified death possible to cover our shame, our sin, and our guilt. Um, One thing that I didn't say is that I, I think it's interesting that we still refer to the story as the prodigal son because he came home. If we're not careful, now this is just, we do it because the headline in, the, in, in our Bibles says it. So right before you get to the passage or, or the parable where Jesus describes the story, it says the parable of the prodigal, the parable of the prodigal son. Now that's not scripture. Those, 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 sub, those uh, section headers that you see in your Bible, that's not something that's being translated that was spoken by Jesus. That's something that our translators put in there just to help us. Really the Bible publishers put it in there to help us break it down. Verses and chapters weren't in the original text. Those were added in the 12th and 16th century so that we could better understand it. Before then, uh, Galatians was just a letter. We didn't have Galatians chapters 1, 2, 3, and so on in the, in the sub-verses in there. That was done so that it helped it make, make it easier to memorize, make it easier for us to break it down, make it e- easier for this corporate setting so we could all get to the same place quickly. Can, can you imagine getting to the verse I'm about to read, Galatians 5, verses 19 through 26, without having chapters? I'd be like, okay, turn in your Bibles to the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians, we'd have that. We would have the name. And then you would have the whole book of Galatians to contend with. And so these chapter markings, these verse markings, these subject headers, that are helpful tools for us, but those aren't scripture. We shouldn't get completely caught up on that. Uh, and and we, can, we can change what they're called without changing scripture. So in my Bible, I actually, in one of them, I, I crossed out the parable of the prodigal son and I wrote the parable of the father, the father's love, right? And I'm not changing scripture. I'm changing how I understand that passage because the prodigal son came home. And I preached a sermon a few months ago about Thomas, who we call Doubting Thomas. Even though in heaven, he's only going to be regarded as Believing Thomas. If we're not careful, we'll forget the work that God does in a man's life or a woman's life, and we'll leave them forever in what they were. Right? What we don't want to do, what we want to do in this, in this house is there's always a seat for someone else. There's always room for more people to come. Right? There's, I mean, clearly, we put a curtain up because there are so many seats. <laughs> and so there's always more room. But what, and, and it's not just you cleaned up Christian, like carrying their Bibles and have it outlined and ready to go into ministry kind of people. It's going to be people who are addicted. And it's going to be people whose marriages are falling apart. And it's going to be people whose sons and daughters have run away. It's going to be the sons and daughters who ran away, coming in and trying to find their way back. 
It's going to be people who come skeptical and atheists who don't believe and agnostics don't know if they believe and, and Christians who, who have different backgrounds and different perspectives and need to grow. We all need to grow and move forward. And, but the problem with holding on to the title that they were is that you'll never accept them for what God has made them to be or what they're becoming. Right? So I've grown up at Grace Covenant Church, and I've done some stupid things at Grace Covenant Church. And there are some people at Grace Covenant Church that know me for that. Right? Like, there was this phase I went through. I got hit by a car in the parking lot to make a cool video. Because that seems like a good idea. It was for God, was my excuse. I really just thought it'd be funny. They made these videos where my friends pushed me around in a shopping cart. And I tried to interview people in the parking lot. And in the shopping cart. You know, it's before the video, before the TV shows started doing it. We were doing it just because we were dumb. And, you know, I, I, I got in this phase where I'd trip. I'd run into a room and I'd trip in front of the whole room and just fall on my face because I thought it was hilarious. And I just, capturing people's response was funny. And my friends would be like, hey, go trip, like, at Subway. Or, you know, go fall down the stairs at the Metro. You know, because it would be funny. And it was. It was really funny. It was stupid, but it was funny. What I, the problem is, some people who knew me, knew me then, that's what they think of when they think of me still, 20 years later. And they, they, they hold me as that silly guy who is doing all those things and not a grown man with kids and a marriage and an amazing wife and, and, a, and a pastor, Right? And so we can do the same thing with other people. And you can be like, oh, that's the guy who came in addicted to drugs. Came in addicted to drugs. <laughs> They've been around for like 15 years, but they used to be addicted. <laughs> and it was really bad. That's the person who had the broken marriage. To which everybody goes, that's... <laughs> All the married people are like, was that us? <laughs> I'm distracted now. <laughs> well, we need to make sure that we don't lock people in where they were. And we need to make sure that we don't, we don't ignore what God is doing or the trajectory that someone has. Um, and so uh, I want to encourage you today that if you came and to encourage somebody who's being baptized and, and maybe you're, you're afraid of getting marked, don't, you don't have to worry about that here. Um, we're just, our, our primary interest is in you relating to the Father the way the Father desires for you to relate with Him and to walk in the fullness of God's plan for you. So, I gotta cut some stuff now that I went into that. So the son comes home. He's reunited with the father. At that moment, the father puts a ring on his hand. He puts new sandals on his feet, puts a robe over him, the best robe on him, covers him up, ushers his son home. There was going to be, I said, there's going to be a time where they have to deal with all the junk that the son encountered while he was gone. The habits that he picked up, the the wounds that he received, the uh, patterns that he developed, all of those kinds of things, the the emotions that would be so confused after something like that. He's going to have to deal with it, but right then was a time of welcoming. 
Now, what happens is oftentimes when we're the prodigal son and we come home and now we're home and when we're in the house, there's a temptation to put on certain behaviors so that we can be like everybody else. So that we can blend in. And so you'd come into Grace Covenant. I'm not sure what our thing is, but there's probably a thing that you would try and do to blend in at Grace Covenant Church. Um, it's easier to blend in because we're all sorts of different colors and shades and backgrounds and nationalities and even languages. And so it's, it's easier to get in. So I'm not sure quite what would you would do. Maybe get a Grace Covenant t-shirt and be like, yeah, I've been here forever. So I'm not sure what those patterns or behaviors would be. If you're going to try and dress like this, and I don't always wear a pink shirt, so you'll tell yourself out if you try and do a specific behavior. But we, we try and do what we think is expected of us instead of letting what's, what should happen develop in us. Does that make sense? And sometimes we, sometimes we fake it out ahead of us receiving a revelation or receiving the transformation that gets us to that place. So we act like our kids don't misbehave in the hallway. We're like, we're, we're embarrassed when our three-year-old throws a temper tantrum. Raise your hand if you're a parent and your three-year-old has not thrown a temper tantrum. Right? Raise your hand if every time your child throws a temper tantrum and they're three, you get insecure and kind of embarrassed. Right? If you didn't put your hand up, you either don't have kids or you're a liar. Right? It's like, oh, the pastor's going to see. Oh, they're going to see and they're going to think I'm out of control. No, we're going to think you've got a three-year-old who's a sinner, just like their parents. <laughs> That's what we're going to think about you. We're going to think, man, parenting is hard. And we're going to think, I'm glad that's not my kid. <laughs> just hold it together till we get to the car, kiddos. Just hold it together. <laughs> right? You get out of the church, you're just stressed out. Like, whoo. We made it. I need a nap. <laughs> Paul's, um, Paul was aware of these kind of things about our desire to produce things of ourselves and, and our need for the Spirit of God to instead produce something in us and through us. And in the church of Galatia, what they had was a church of people who came to faith and they were really healthy, but then some false teaching came in and some different kind of seed was being sown and, and it was producing things that weren't kingdom oriented and it was um, getting mixed in with the stuff that was kingdom oriented. And Paul's like, hey, I need to help you understand the difference between the stuff that's coming from you and the stuff that's coming from God. So that you can discern what kind of, what, what's healthy and what's not. So you can figure out what kind of, what the fruit is or what the effect is of the teaching that you've been receiving. Or what is the effect of the community that you're in. And so he gives some, some clues to us. A litmus test of sorts. To help them be able to distinguish between the two. Because it's not always easy. It's not always immediate either. But in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 25, he says this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. You know the problem with the word sensuality is even it's like enticing. Like it's a little too enticing. Sensuality. I don't find myself repulsed by the word. Idolatry, sorcery. We're kind of like, whoa, okay, whoa. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit 
is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep and step with the Spirit. This is God's word to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you to open our eyes, to see our ears, to hear our hearts, to understand what you're speaking to us today. Help us to desire more of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul starts by identifying the fruit of the flesh in a sense. And then he speaks the fruit of the spirit and calls us to draw near to God and to stay close to him. In terms of the fruit of the flesh, I've heard people argue that humanity is getting better. That there is an evolution of sorts, but it's a moral one. And that human, humankind is getting better and all we have to do is be better in our life and our kids will be better. And then as we continue to be better, we pass down betterness and then someday we'll have this utopic existence where everything is wonderful. Just by exerting self-control over our, what we call sinful desires over the natural inclinations of the flesh to want to take from people and to want to push people over. And that's a, that's a, it's a hopeful theory. I, I wish that that could be the case. I think what it is is really Ecclesiastes says that God has set eternity in the hearts of man. And that means that we long for something beyond the life that we have. And that's a seed planted by God to draw us to himself. It's a seed of hope for something greater that every single human being longs for. And so I believe that this evolution of morality is really just people feeling the seed of something greater and different and looking at it and going, there must be something more than what we have because what we have just doesn't seem to be right. And so they're wrestling with it and they're trying to solve that problem by themselves. And Paul's saying, that's not how this problem will be solved. By no amount of effort. And that's, you don't need any more evidence than a toddler in your home to know that the apple doesn't fall very far from the tree. They do the same knuckleheaded things that you did, even though you don't do them anymore. They may even do them more than you or worse than you. Every child of mine has had a standoff at the power outlet. (laughs) Don't put your finger in the socket. Stay away. But I want to. They want to. And then you're like, okay, we'll put plugs in it to keep our kid from it because we don't want to pat their hand because we'll hurt them and they won't trust us or love us anymore. So we'll just put the little thing in. And then you know what they want to do? They want to rip the little thing out of the wall because they are determined to stick their finger in that outlet. Anybody else? No? Okay. So they're determined to do it. It reveals this. kind. Nobody had to teach them to rebel against me and to want to do what they want to do instead of what we want to do. Nobody had to teach them to chase after what's wrong and dangerous. They know that instinctively. We, in, 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 in Christianity and church, we, we refer to that as original sin. Nobody had to teach that. They just do it. And unchecked, it grows, it grows. And it gets darker and worse. It develops. So that's its sapling form. At oak tree form, it's the list of things that Paul outlines for us in in verses 19 through 22, through 21. I, um, I spent too much time this week trying to discern the difference between all of them. Oh, I wonder what they mean by, what's the difference between... Maybe sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. 
And you can find distinction, and it's interesting, but this is not somewhere where the Greek or Hebrew really helps us understand the, the deeper meaning. Right? Sometimes we, we feel like we need to study it more to really understand it. And this is one of those cases where I think we can zoom back to better understand it. Some theologians break it into four broader categories, sensuality, superstitions, temper, anger, and then the fourth one, ex- excesses. I think we can even zoom back from there and just be like, there are some things that are displeasing to God. Even the verse itself says in things like these, Right? It, it doesn't, it does, it's not saying these are the only things that are displeasing to God, and these are the only things that are fruit of the flesh. So when you go on and try and subdivide these things and understand what they are, really what we're trying to do is be like, how drunk can I be before I'm drunk? It said drunkenness. What's the tipsy scale? How, what's the uh, blood alcohol content of a drunk person versus just I had a good night? was kind of expecting somebody to say a number back, but <laughs> right? We start to search for things. We, we start to search for things and create distinctions so that we can justify ourselves. Sometimes because we, we know that we should be more than we are, we start to set up lots of rules around it and try and grow to some level. And we, we set up lots of uh, boundaries for ourselves, well-meaning, well-intentioned. But we're like, okay, so these things aren't, so this is, this is bad. So I'll, I'll do this, which isn't bad. Or I'll do this, which is best. Like I, that's how you end up with churches where women can't wear, wear dresses or women can't wear pants. Because they were like, wait a second, we got to figure this out. Let's establish a rule about how long the dress has to be. Well-meaning. Sometimes, sometimes it's not well-meaning. Sometimes you're su- trying to suppress a truth. But I, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt and say, this probably started uh, well-intentioned. Yeah. Trying to honor God. Trying to live right. Trying to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. Trying to say, hey, we're going to be changed. But then you create all these, these rules and these barriers and these boundaries and you pack it so full of rules and regulations that you, you can't even see Jesus anymore. The cross is hidden inside of this snowball of, of rules and the snowball of, of regulations that, that you, you're not even sure why you, your life would be any different. I'm striving harder than everybody else I know. The main idea here is that these things are destructive. Not only do these things and things like them, things that come from our flesh, not only are they destructive for now and have consequences for us today, but it also robs us of a future inheritance. I'm terrible at delayed gratification. If there's ice cream in the house, I want to eat it now. If I have nachos, or if I have chips and cheese, I see nachos now. I don't see it in the future. I'm not waiting till dinner. I'm not waiting till dessert. I'm going to eat ice cream before dinner. Eat dinner and then ice cream again. I'll do it. Go ahead and judge me. That's cool. That's not a prodigal son thing. Be like, that's the pastor. He just eats all the time. (laughs) That's not a past thing. That's a current thing. It keeps us below the standard that God desires for us, the fulfilling. By standard, I don't mean the things that we do. By standard, I mean the standard of life, the fullness of life that he died for us to inherit. It robs us from an inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. And then there's the fruit of faith. 
fruit of the Spirit, it says, there's a better life available for me in Jesus, in step with the Spirit of God, than anything that I can produce for myself, than any of my rules would ever produce for me, than any of these regulations would ever produce for me, than anything I can force to come out of my own life, there's a greater life available. It's not a life that's available through faking or pretending or created through our own effort. It's a life that's produced simply by drawing close to him and staying in step with his spirit. There is never a bad day to behold the love of God and to remember the enormity of the cross and, and how much he's, how far he came to forgive us. A woman in our, a woman in our congregation, you probably don't know her, uh, she just started coming uh, at Easter. Uh, she passed away this week. She had cancer. Her name's Karen Robinette. And we're going to have a uh, memorial service for her on Wednesday. As she was in the last days of her battle with cancer, I was like, let's start beholding heaven. Let's start stirring our hearts for what waits you on the other side of this death. Let's start to set our eyes on, on Jesus, who is our hope, who is our joy, and, and not fear death. I didn't say lean in and try and die. Let's behold heaven. And, and if while beholding heaven, if while, while spending time talking to Jesus and, and stirring our hearts for his purposes, if your body is healed and you walk out of this place, then praise God. You didn't waste a single minute setting your heart on glory and asking the Holy Spirit to draw near to you. But if you die, there's also no shame spent doing the things that you did in these last days, calling people and apologizing, getting right, mending gaps, repenting, forgiving, setting her heart on Jesus. I explained to her family members, I said, this is a good thing for your mom to do. Not because it's the best thing to do when you're dying. This is good for your mom to do and it's good for us to do today because it's the best thing to do while we're living. So whether you're facing, uh, whether you're facing some cataclysmic, bad word, whether you're facing something terrible, cataclysmic, or life is comfortable, all of us should behold the glory of God. All of us should open up the Bible and, 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 and be like, man, if this thing is true, it's the most important thing ever written. Let me figure out how it's true. Let me wrestle with this. If this is important, then, then man, I should be applying these things to my life. And if you don't know how to do it, just ask someone. You're bound to stumble on somebody who, who knows. Ask somebody in here. And if they don't know, just form a, a, a group, right? And just add on like they do in the movies. You know, like the one lone, like, hey, do you know how to read your Bible? No, me neither. Let's go. <laughs> and then, you know, turn on some epic music on your Pandora station and turn it on so you can have the background music playing and the crowd grows. And I've got a movie playing out in my head for no reason at all. 
Jesus says in John 15, verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that, uh, it is, he it is that bears much fruit from apart, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus didn't die to make good people better. He died so that sinners could be righteous. He died so that the dead could live. He died that those who were made new in him could be filled with the power of God. Now, this is what's cool. Did you, I was thinking this week in kind of a silly way, but I was like, it was funny that these, this is the fruit of the Spirit, not like flying, right? Like drawing near to God and drawing near to his Holy Spirit and, and beholding his glory produces us, in us primarily love. It leads in love. If I was writing it, it would have been with flying or something else really big so that everyone would know, like, that guy's been with Jesus. He's glowing. Right? Like, he walks on water. He doesn't eat food or something. And God's like, I'm going to do something that, that, that isn't just extra for the sake of being extra. I'm going to do the thing that's otherwise impossible and allows you to relate well to me and well to one another so that people can know and see that I am God and I am good and that I've loved you and that my love transforms and that because of my love and because of my power, you're now able to love one another. Sometimes I think the bigger miracle would be would be being able to fly or being able to walk on water. But perhaps the most remarkable miracle is the one where our heart is transformed. It's the less extreme one. It seems subtle on its surface only because we have an inflated sense of how loving or patient we are. We have an inflated sense of how kind we are. Because the kindness, the love, the kindness, the gentleness, the mercy, compassion, all of those that come from as fruit of the Spirit, they don't, they don't run out. In, in myself, when I'm, when I'm walking according to the flesh, I can, I can have a decent morning. But the Band-Aid gets, off, gets ripped off real quick the second I get cut off. Right? The Band-Aid gets real, cut off, ripped off real quick the second somebody's going really, really slow in front of me and I get boxed in. You know, the band-aid gets ripped off when you see something on Facebook that you think is outrageous or ridiculous or you hear something on the news and it's like, why? When I'm in the spirit, when my mind is tuned to God, when I'm in step with him, when I'm mindful of his kingdom, when his presence, his cross, his, his, the fact that he's alive and seated at the right hand of God. When I think about those things, get boxed in isn't, isn't that big a deal. You know, the, the news isn't so troubling. It's perplexing, but it doesn't freak you out. I want to encourage all of us. Consider God. Consider Christ. Consider His Holy Spirit. Not just today, not just in this moment, but tomorrow morning. Wake up and read your Bible for five minutes. God, will you speak to me today? Then read for five minutes and see if anything sticks. And then later in the day, think about it again. 
What did I read this morning? And wrestle with it, consider it. And see how what begins to happen when we stay in step with the Spirit is something else is produced. Our appetites change. We don't long for the things we used to long for the same way. Our heart is stirred for things of His kingdom. We get excited about the things of God. We look for opportunities to bless others instead of just trying to take for ourselves. We endure with other people as they're perfected or as they run away even. And we begin to look a lot more like the Father we looked at last week. Father, help us today to be in step with your Spirit, to seek out your purposes, not to be satisfied with our own effort, our own ideas, our own ideals. Help us to chase after you. If there's anybody here today and you're distant from God and you want to be brought close through Jesus Christ, can you raise your hand so I can pray with you? See that hand? That's great. We can put it down. You know, it's not by raising our hand that saves us. It's through a confession of faith. It's through receiving the gift of salvation. It's really not even on any of those things. We're saved because of the love of God, the grace of God. We participate in it by receiving it. So if you raised your hand or you're longing for a touch from God and you didn't raise your hand, just pray with me. God, I surrender. I've been living life according to the flesh, according to my pattern and my plan. Today, I surrender. I choose, I commit to follow you. I'm sorry for the things that I've done that have grieved you. I turn from those things. I accept, I receive your forgiveness. Give me the courage to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name.